Well, I want to add my welcome to you this morning, and I want to ask you to pull out your bulletin, which you received on the way in. If you're with us online, the bulletin is available. If you go to peachtreechurch.com watch, and you go and you're watching it through our website, there's a, there's a link for you to be able to download our bulletin, so you have access to that. A couple of things I want to call your attention to. One is uh, each and every week we have a sermon outline that's in there. That's kind of a newer practice for us that started at the beginning of this year. I did it because the first sermon I preached this year was super complicated. My oldest daughter, Danica, was here, and she said, I love me a good sermon outline. Papa, you should do that every week. (laughs) And so what the first daughter wants, the first daughter gets, and so we've got it in there each week uh, with you if you want to be able to follow along to take notes. And I also want to call your attention to this part that talks about the podcast and to reiterate what Cody said a few minutes ago. Um, These are not the Sunday morning sermon podcast. This is a series of conversations with some great, faithful thought partners to be able to help us to advance what we're doing this year. You've never heard me advocate or say something like this before, so I'm just going to tell it to you straight. This is one of the most creative and engaging content partnerships in the gospel that I've ever gotten to be a part of. And so I just highly encourage you to take the step, to find the link, to download it, and, and then for you to be able to go on a part of this journey, because we've got curriculum for you this year, we've got groups available for you this year, and these podcasts are a key part of the growth. What they call this in education circles is flipping the classroom. And that is, is that you don't necessarily have to be present anymore in order to be able to receive content. So this is fodder for you to be able to grow when you're in the car, when you're on the walk. These are fantastic conversations for us to be able to grow. And there's a corollary to that. I think there's no greater way for you to invite somebody into the gospel ministry of Peachtree than these podcasts. Meaning, listen to one, find out one that connects with you, pray about maybe somebody that's a friend, a coworker, a family member, somebody for you to be able to reach out to, send them a link and say, hey, this is what our church is doing this year. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's very different from listening to a sermon because you're invited into the studio in a different way. And so I'm going to keep harping on this because I think it's a really big deal. Otherwise, you could just nod your head, agree, and actually do it, like it, subscribe to it, do it. And I'll move on and preach, preach about things if you want to do it that way. How's that sound? All right? So hopefully you'll take advantage of these resources that are somewhat new to us as we go on this journey. So let me tell you where we've been and where we're going. This is a year where we're talking about a prayer, a hope, a dream that you and I can be a cup that overflows with the very goodness and mercy of God. But the problem is, is that the container of our lives is cracked and broken. And because of that, the goodness and love of God does not stay within us or flow through us in the right way. The promise of the gospel is that living water is available to us and that we can become that fountain of living water for our thirsty and needy community. And that means that in order to repair the broken cisterns of our lives, what we're going to have to do is engage in some practices that help to heal and connect us to the spirit of the living God. And the way that that happens is through these types of practices. We've had a month of introduction, and then each month we are engaging, dipping our toes in, diving into a different ancient practice. These are very rhythms and habits that Jesus 
and other early followers of Jesus did, and we're following in his steps to be able to engage in these types of things. And so we are starting with maybe the most important and basic of all of these practices, we're going to be starting with prayer. And this is what this month on Sunday morning is going to look like. We're going to be talking today from Luke 18, who can pray? Next week, what is prayer? The following week, how to pray? And then when life can become prayer itself. So this is our roadmap for Sunday morning. And I want to begin by telling you of a time when we used to live out in California. Our daughter Ashby was somewhere in that seven, eight, nine years old kind of time frame. She is in school, and we come to pray with her at night, as we did with both of our kids, and to tuck them in. And we came to Ashby's bedside on the eve of her birthday. And as we encourage her to pray her honest, raw thoughts before God, she prays before God, God, I don't want to go to school tomorrow on my birthday. I want a holiday. I don't want to go there. Well, it turns out that there was this freakish storm in Southern California, which never happens, such to the degree that it shut down the school. And so Ashby got a holiday on her birthday, and she was so excited about that. Well, fast forward a year, it's the eve before her next birthday, and she remembers her prayer and God answering her prayer in the way that she wanted. And Kelly and I are thinking, this is a moment where she's going to have to learn and grow up in her faith that God does not give you every selfish desire and request that you ask for in prayer, that God wants you to bring all of these things, but it doesn't mean that God always grants it. I even checked the forecast beforehand. There are no storms that are coming into Southern California. And so she goes to bed at night. We tuck her in. She offers that prayer again. We Next morning, wake up, everything's normal, get dressed, put on the uniform, we eat breakfast, get in the car. We are not out of our neighborhood when we get an emergency alert from the school. True story. <laughs> that somebody's car had crashed into a telephone pole that was connected to a power line that fell on a transformer and blew out the power to multiple city blocks and that the school was closed because they had no power. I remember Kelly telling me, remind me never to make our daughter mad. <laughs> Fast forward one more year. And it's the eve before Ashby's birthday. And I go into her room to tuck her in at night and to get ready for our prayers. And I said, Ashby, before you pray tonight, I just want to tell you something. You are going to get a mental health day tomorrow and you and I are going to Disneyland for your birthday, I don't want you to pray that prayer anymore because I'm afraid somebody's gonna get hurt. <laughs> Albert Einstein was once asked by a Princeton PhD student about dissertation ideas and was basically like, what else is there to study in today's world? And Albert Einstein famously said this, find out about prayer, somebody, must find out about prayer. I get asked to pray a lot. You might imagine that that kind of comes with the territory, right? I get asked to pray, stopped to pray, all kinds of different things. It's one of the key things about what I do. I remember one time I was sitting at lunch and had just sat down and had the menus but hadn't ordered yet and I was meeting with uh, another person from the church when somebody came over to our table and had a very lengthy plea and prayer request for us. And it, 
it, it wasn't just a request, it was a conversation that took longer than maybe socially it should have. And so as soon as the person left, um, I turned to the person I was having lunch with and I said, so sorry about that interruption, that's an occupational hazard. And to which this person said, I would think that would be an occupational pleasure. Talk about putting your pastor in your place. <laughs> Vic Pence, my predecessor, used to say, a pastor who will not pray for his or her people should be sued for malpractice. I will preach for you. I will preach for you with all my energy, intelligence, and imagination and love, but that's not my primary job for you as pastor. My primary job for you is to pray for you, to pray with you. My primary job is not to lead, although leadership and faithfulness and stewardship are all important to what I do. It's not the most important thing that I do. The most important thing that I can do for you, for us, is to be a person of prayer. I'm honored to pray with you. I'm honored to pray for you. I'm asked to pray a lot. And you just need to know that there's a little part of me that gets uncomfortable. It's a little bit of the subtext or a little bit of the rumbling of something that's underneath the surface. It's not something that you talk about. But many of the times that you ask me to pray, I can't help but wondering if there's kind of an assumption behind the request. This vague sense that you think that I have some secret connection with God in the same way that Ashby seems to have a secret connection with God on the eve of her birthday. Which begs a question. I will pray for you. But what does it mean to pray? Who can pray? And what we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 18 is the answer to that question of who can pray. Three little stories, two of them parables, made-up stories with a real point. The first part of Luke 18 tells a story of a woman who has experienced great tragedy, a widow. Jesus tells us why he told this story. He says it like this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not what? There's a couple of assumptions that you need to see out of the gate here on prayer. One is, is that prayer isn't necessarily going to be easy, right? That prayer will require a certain measure of effort and fortitude because many people start to pray and yet they give up. They stop. They don't do it. The other thing that is kind of an assumption here when you read a statement like this is that prayer is not meant to be a sporadic or occasional thing. It's supposed to happen all the time. We're to always pray. We're going to talk about this later this month. And then he, Jesus starts to tell the story. What he says is there is this woman who's a widow who's going to go before an unjust judge. The text talks about it like this. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him. The him in this story is a judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, when we hear this story today, we only understand it up to a degree because when we think widow, we have a modern understanding of what a widow is and that that is a woman whose husband has died. 
And that's true, but there's so much more to the story in the ancient world. A woman in the ancient world was not a person of standing on their own. They were property. A woman in the ancient world had to belong to a man. There was all kinds of laws and rules and kind of chain of command that if a husband died, here's what you were supposed to do with that woman who was left behind. A woman in the ancient world of Jesus was not allowed to give testimony in court. In other words, the story that we're about to see is incredibly shocking because what it says, if there is this woman, this widow before a judge, it means that there is no man who has claimed her in his life, that she is completely desolate, she cannot provide for herself economically in any way, and that the only reason that a woman would be before a judge is because there is no man in her life who will intercede on her behalf to actually have the standing in court to be able to do so. And yet this woman keeps coming day after day after day, In the story that Jesus is telling, it is not a nice judge, it is a bad judge. And his point in the great reversal of this story that Jesus is telling is, hey, this judge is bad, and he grants the woman's request because he's just tired of her. She's wearing him down. She's bothering him, and the judge is like, fine, you can have it. Imagine if you had a compassionate judge. Imagine if you had a good judge. Imagine if you had a judge that actually cared about doing what was right. This is the nature of the God who is our judge. Imagine how he will be treating someone who has no standing before him. Then Jesus has this honest question. But when the Son of Man returns, will he find this kind of confidence, this type of endurance, this type of faith on earth? The first key to who can prayer is to understand this. You have no standing before Almighty God. And yet he will listen to you. And so that's the first thing that we see is that there is this widow who has experienced tragedy. Even she can pray. And then secondly, another story that Jesus tells, again, this is a made-up parable kind of story that has a real punchline to it, of a tax collector, what is referred to as a sinner, sinner being a technical term, not just being a derogatory term or a theological term, it is somebody who is outside the covenant. Jesus puts it this way, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And so in this story, there are two people, a contrast. There are two people who come to the temple to pray. Now, one of the unique things about this story is that Jesus only tells one parable that doesn't take place in an ordinary place. Most of the stories that Jesus tells take place in the marketplace or in the vineyard or in the field or in the home or in kind of the neighborhood. These are the ordinary places where Jesus tells his stories. Only one story takes place in the sacred place, in the temple. That's this story. And what he says is there's two people who go to the temple to pray. It almost sounds like the setup for a joke. Two guys walk into a bar. Two people walk into the temple to pray. The first person who walks into the temple to pray is a Pharisee, the most devout, the most religious. And this person walks in. And it's basically like, God, I'm here. 
I am here to grace you with my presence. I thank you that I'm not like these other peons who are here. Here's what I do. Here's my resume, God. I thank you that I'm not like these other people, especially that tax collector who doesn't belong here. And then the camera shifts over to that tax collector. Remember, a tax collector was somebody who was in cahoots with the Romans, the occupying force, and was extorting the people of their own resources, stealing from them. And this is what it says. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heavens, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you have your own notes or your own Bible, circle the word mercy, because that is not the ordinary word for kindness or mercy or graciousness. It is a technical term. Remember, I told you this is the only time that Jesus tells a story about something that happens in the temple in terms of a parable. And what happens in the temple is that they make sacrifices to God. Make two primary sacrifices, sin offerings and thank offerings. This is a technical term in the Greek that is known as halaskomai, a more technical definition of what this prayer is that the tax collector says to God in his prayer is, God, make a sacrifice for me, a sinner. The tax collector knows he has no standing before God unless God stands in for him. He doesn't bring anything to God. It is about his grace bringing something to him. The important thing for this is in the conclusion of the story, I tell you that this man, Jesus says, rather than the other, went home justified, made right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As you pray, what are you praying in the confidence? Is your confidence in yourself or in the one that you are praying to? And so, if you can think of it this way, you can think of it, and I love how we pull these stories together. We don't just read the stories together in isolation. We read these stories together because they let us know that we're seeing a bigger picture here. We tend to read these stories just independently, and we miss it. There's a snapshot here about not having standing before God. There's a snapshot here of not having standing before God. And then there's a third story, but this is a real story. This isn't a story that Jesus tells. This is something that Luke tells us of something that happened to Jesus. It's a famous story. You might recall it. This is how he sets it up. People were also bringing, and this is interesting in the new NIV, they were bringing what to Jesus? Babies. You probably know this as like children to Jesus, right? But there are different words for children in the Greek New Testament. This is a specific word that means infant or baby. What is the primary quality of a baby? That it can't do anything. That it is completely dependent on the parent. The primary quality of a baby is that it is helpless. 
And this is how Jesus puts it. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You have to begin with your helplessness. And so my biggest hesitation for even just marching into a season of prayer where I'm going to help us to teach our way through some experience of deepening our prayer life is that you have to understand that when it comes to prayer, we are all just beginners. That I'm just one beggar helping other beggars in order to find bread. And that you cannot see me as the paragon to prayer. And in fact, if we're going to see about who can pray, who's advanced in the kingdom of God, Jesus gives us three clear portraits. The woman who's at the end of her rope where she's lost everything. The guy who has come to the end of his sinfulness and brokenness who has nothing. And a helpless baby. These are the people who can pray. What does faith like a child look like? What do they ask for? Everything. How do they ask? Without reservation. No hesitation. How often do they ask? Repeatedly. Are we there yet? 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 How much further? Can I have it? 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 Can I have it now? You don't do this to be annoying before God. You do this because you are helpless before God. So we're starting a new ministry in the fall. We've started to tell you about it. It's called Wonderfully Made. It is a part of what we're doing in our campaign and our ministry and mission here. Where we're bringing to our campus, we're going to do day program for adults with special needs. We're going to do that by helping to provide the dignity of work so that they get to do a bakery together. We're going to do that by inviting them into community and in education together. That what happens when someone becomes an adult in our society with special needs is that all the support of society falls through the floor. And so we're going to do something about it. While we were thinking and dreaming about this, we went to go see a church that's been doing this for 25 years in Kansas City. And I go there and I've got my notebook and I've got all the things I'm ready to sit down and roll up my sleeves and say, how does the financials work? How do we get a sustainable model happening? How do you structure something like this? I've got my strategic hat on. I am ready to help us to figure this out, to do it the peach tree way. We're going to make sure it works just right. We get there. They tell us to put all of our stuff in some cubbies. And they invite us to just join in welcoming the learners as they come. They hug one another. They greet one another. Then we start with worship. They put a worship song up on the TV, and we begin to sing and to praise together. And then we huddle over to the side and have a devotional Bible study. And then they open it up for prayer. And I am telling you, It wrecked me. It wrecked me to hear these people bring their raw, unfiltered desires, dreams, and love for God. Tears flowing down your pastor's face. As a very pointed reminder 
of who can pray. One of my biggest fears for a sophisticated, educated, competent congregation like Peachtree is that we will bring our competence to prayer. That's not who can pray. Until you know of your helplessness, your brokenness, and your emptiness, you're just not going to get very far. Some of those adult learners are further on the path of prayer than your pastor is. So how can you pray? What do we start? Like the widow, you can come with your persistent trust. Like the sinner, you can bring your pleas with humble mercy, sacrifice. And you can receive like a child of God. If you do that, you can pray. And so, Father, we ask that you will strip us of our pride, our desire to stand on our own two feet. Will you take away our desire to look competent and skilled and leave us with the faith of little children? I ask, Father, that you will give us the ability to not give up in our prayers. That we will know that you are the one, like at this table, who has paid the sacrifice for us. And that even if we have experienced our own brokenness, our own tragedy, or our own helplessness, that that is exactly where you meet us. And so help us right now to make things right, both in the world and within us. And we know that that's what you do at this table. And so make us to be at the kids' table today, O oh God. And we pray these things at Jesus' name. All God's people said. On the night that our Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this, this, is, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do it again and again and again and remember me. And in the same manner, after the supper, he took a cup. There's multiple cups on the Passover table. He took the third one, the cup of sacrifice, and he said, this cup is the new promise sealed in my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever you drink of it, and you do this again and again and again, remember me. And every time you do this, you proclaim something. You proclaim the death of our Lord, the sacrifice of our Lord. And you proclaim the rising of the Lord in the in-between space of the anticipation between now and the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. And so it is with longing, 
with desire that we come to the table. These are the gifts of God. They're for you, the people of God. Will the servers come? The table is now prepared.
but the blood of Jesus. All precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No fountain, no nothing but the blood of Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me will never be hungry. Those who believe in me will never thirst. Take and drink all of you. And let's stand and sing together. Redeemed. 
pray is if we pray out of our need, out of our brokenness, not out of our sufficiency, only out of his sacrifice, only out of his grace. That's what makes Christian prayer different from every other religious activity. People think all religions pray only up to a degree because our prayers are always thank offerings to God based on the sacrifice that he has already paid for us in the Messiah who went to the cross on our behalf. You pray out of your need and your brokenness, but you don't have to pray alone. And that's why we're going to have leaders from the church and the, the William Center that's off to the side here. If, if you've brought a burden of prayer with you today and you don't want to carry it alone, 
we invite you to go and to pray with some leaders from the church. And now a prayer to send you out into a season, a month of prayer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you as servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted among the nations in his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who comes down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and with princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of a family. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And may it be so.